Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about, we're calling it double trouble. And when we say double trouble, we mean things like twins being reincarnated or doppelgangers or an eerily similar murder happening years apart. Yeah, I'm excited. I am too. This is a bunch of just like weird stuff we wanted to research. And we're like, there's two. That means double. (laughs) Perfect. Let's go. Done and done. (laughs) But all of these things I've heard of at various times, but I've never had the opportunity to look into them. The last one I didn't hear of because it's really new. But the other things I had heard of. I just didn't know the deets. And that hot gas, <laughs> if you will. The deets and the hot goss. Well, we got the deets and the hot goss today. Yeah. We're going to start with the Pollock twins. And the Pollock family lived in Hexham, England. And in May of 1957, Joanna and her younger sister, Jacqueline, as well as their friend Anthony, were on their way to church and they were walking. On their way, they were hit by a car. The driver was a woman who was under the influence of multiple drugs. And originally, people thought that she had accidentally hit the kids. But it turned out that she had purposely hit them because she had been separated from her own children. Ugh, what a monster. Anthony, who was nine died on his way to the hospital, but the sisters died instantly. Joanna was 11 and Jacqueline was just six. The woman who hit the children was sent to a psychiatric hospital. Jacqueline and Joanna's parents were Florence and John Pollock. Understandably, they were incredibly upset that they had lost their children and in such a brutal, horrible way. Yeah. Florence got pregnant and John insisted that Joanna and Jacqueline would be reincarnated into the family together as twins. That's an intense claim. That is intense and like kind of sad too, in a sense. Like I can't imagine mourning your children being pregnant again and then someone being like, oh, it's them coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, they were Catholic. So the thought of like reincarnation wasn't really something that they had believed in the past. So it's interesting that he brought that up. Florence still didn't believe in reincarnation and didn't believe John because of it. At one point, Florence allegedly almost filed for divorce over the tension that it had created because of this disagreement. Neither side of the family had any twins, so it was highly improbable that Florence would have twins. In addition, her doctor had told them that they were just having one child. So I think it was a fair thought to go, there's only one child in there. Yeah, I feel like in an absence of a pattern on your families, it's bizarre to just randomly have twins right? Yeah. Or just be like, this is happening. Yeah. When we were the thought of having a child and I'm like, but what likelihood is it that there's twins? And I kept reading back and forth that like, if it runs in your family, it might happen. Or it's just a coincidence that it sometimes runs in people's families, that it's not like a genetic thing. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, that was the first question we had. We're like, how many? They're like, just one. What if we have seven? Mm-mm. No. That's so scary to me. It's like a litter of children. my eyes are so big right now it is like seven is a litter for sure a litter for sure it is what a wonder the human body is that seven children can be carried in a human body Mm -mm. one's good for me one's good so of course yeah the doctor said you're only having one i think it's a fair 
thought to think that you're only having one child. And yet, John was still insistent about his daughters being born as twins. I imagine that Florence was fucking hating this. Again, I haven't been pregnant, so I don't know. But I would imagine on top of general, let's not do this. Also, you're pregnant. Uh-huh. You know, you're like, I don't have fucking patience for this. Right. I could understand how sad that could be, though. Oh, yeah. How hopeful. And then you're kind of like dreading it because you're like, there's only one in there. And then you're going to be highly disappointed that, you know, our other children are not coming back. Yeah. So that that would be hard. Yeah. 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 But on October 4th of 1958, Florence did give birth to twin girls. That already gives me chills. He must have been so fucking smug. Oh, man. See, out of everything, I'd be like, we need to just hide one or something. Yeah. He can't be right. He can't be right. He simply can <laughs> cannot be right. Don't do this to me. Exactly. Exactly. They named them Jennifer and Jillian. And despite them being identical twins, they had different birthmarks. From what I saw, that was like very bizarre. Yeah, that is very bizarre for identical twins. To not be identical. To not be identical. Yeah, that's fair. So as a reminder, remember, they had two children pass away. And one that had passed was named Jacqueline. And she had a birthmark on her hip and a scar on her head. And that's exactly where Jennifer's birthmarks were. Chills. In January of 1959, just three months after the twins were born, the family moved to Whitley Bay. Although Jennifer and Jillian had only spent three months of their life in Hexham, they both seemed to remember it in detail. When Jillian and Jennifer were four years old, they went back to Hexham and the girls recognized places that they had never been. They remembered the Hexham Abbey and the school that Jacqueline and Joanna had gone to, which is very bizarre, right? They even remembered the playground that Jacqueline and Joanna loved and seemed to remember the way to get there. Can you imagine how smug John must have been? He's like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. Probably. I'm making myself irritated just thinking about how smug he probably was. (laughs) Jillian and Jennifer could identify their sister's toys by name. Florence hid Jacqueline and Joanna's toys away, probably because it made her sad. But the girls would request those toys that they had never even seen before. It's that that really solidifies it for me, is the fact that they're like, they've never seen these toys and they're asking for them by name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to say like they had named the stuffed animal or something. I want to say I saw an interview years ago with them and it was something about like the name that a child would give like a stuffed animal specific, not just I want to play with this. It was the name of it. No, I understand. Like my niece, like she named for a bit, everything was Timey Tim, but it started with a stuffed cat that was named Timey Tim, not Tiny Tim, Time, Timey Tim. And then she has a horse named Timey Toad. I love this. <laughs> and she is the absolute cutest. She I means she is. She is. I'm, I'm partial, but you know. So eventually the parents gave them all of the toys and the girls split them up perfectly as those that belong to Joanna and those that belong to Jacqueline. So they're like, okay, this one was mine. This one was yours. And they just knew. Florence and John even noticed that their personalities were very similar. Jacqueline was five years older than Joanna and would be, you know, the good big sister and look over her. Jillian, who was born just 10 minutes before Jennifer, would also look after her sister and for no real reason seemed more mature. Jennifer and Jillian even liked the same foods and games as their late sisters. Do you think that, though, that's like kid food, you know? Not necessarily. Like, surprise, surprise. They like mac and cheese. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. But I I think even for like Oliver, he's seven now. Some of the things he eats, his friends are like, "Mm -mm, no, thank you. Like what? Oh, he loves like weird soups. 
he's obsessed with corn chowder. Oh my gosh. I wish Livy and him could have gotten to know each other more because Livy is also a soup girly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like we were going to brunch and we we're like, what are you going to And she was like, soup. Specifically cream of crab soup is what she wanted. But she was like, soup. I mean, even when you guys were here, remember she was like shoveling that soup into her yes. mouth. Yes. So her mom was like, "Do you want?" Her mom was like, "Do you want a bite?" And she was like, <sighs> "Yes, yes." It's like a soup goblin. It was amazing. I love it. I love a soup baby. And there's like a bunch of veggies and stuff. So a lot of his friends are like, "What are you eating?" No. Or he's obsessed with um, chicken and dumplings. He calls it ball soup, though. Ball soup. I mean, chicken and dumplings is pretty fucking good, though. Yeah. But he'll always go if we could let if we ask him, "What do you want for dinner?" He's always like, "I want ball soup." Ball soup. So I feel like that would be like an identifying thing. Okay. I mean, especially if he was like, I want ball soup. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah. blink, blink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even though they were incredibly similar, despite all of this, Florence still did not think the girls were Jacqueline and Joanna reincarnated. But obviously John did. This changed, though, when Florence found the girls playing a game where they recreated the details of the car accident where Joanna and Jacqueline had died. This poor fucking mother. That's horrific. I can't even imagine being like coming in to the scene that you're about to describe. Oh, no, no. This, this makes my stomach turn. But Jillian was holding Jennifer's head in her hands and said, quote, that's blood coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. Christ. Mm-mm. John recalled hearing the girls scream, quote, the car is coming to get us while holding on to one another after they unexpectedly heard a car engine start near them. That's so sad. Yeah, that is very sad. That's so sad. Yeah. At another point, Jillian pointed to the birthmark on Jennifer that was in the same spot as Jacqueline's scar and said, that's the mark Jennifer got when she fell on the bucket, which like there's no reason she would have known that. Yeah. They had a fear of cars and even had frequent nightmares where they were hit by a car. Those poor babies. Right. As they got older, about five, their memories of their previous life began to fade away. And I want to say there's like an author that collected a bunch of these stories at one point about children that can remember past lives. And we've talked about it in one of our other episodes, too. But that was pretty common is like as the kids got older, they started to forget that past life and only their current memories stayed. Do you think that that would have felt like losing their kids again? Oh, my gosh, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, probably. Right. Like, especially for the father who wholeheartedly believed in it the whole time. At least for Jacqueline, she wouldn't have memories of her older than that because she wasn't that age ever. For Joanna, she was 11. So she probably had a, like things she liked to do for when she was a little bit older. So I wonder if those were the same when she got older still. Yeah, that's weird, but sad. Sorry to bring it down. Well, years later, Jillian said she saw visions of herself playing in a sandbox in their home in Wickham. She accurately described the house and the garden, but Jillian had never been to or lived in Wickham. So there's no reason that she would have known all of that. Joanna had lived there with her parents when she was about four. That's wild. That is. Some think that the girls had heard about their sisters and various details from their brothers. But I feel like specifics to the point of like names of things or being able to describe even like their death, that's not something that a brother would probably specify, right? At least in what I would think. 
Well, first off, they lost their sisters, so they were likely sad. And then they're seeing their father, like, so insistent that their sisters are going to be reincarnated that it, like, almost kind of destroys their family even more. Yeah. And then they're like, wouldn't it be funny to trick everyone? That would be so messed up that it's hard for me to think that, like, that would have happened. Or at the very least, to this extent. Because, sure, you could tell them things, but how much is a kid going to remember? Like, how many lines can they remember? That's fair. That's fair. It's the scars for me. And how would they keep everything straight? Yeah. And the scars. That's fair. Yeah. The scars, just like there's no rhyme or reason. And I've thought that since I was younger, that when people are born with certain birthmarks, that it's scars from past lives. I don't remember where I first read that, but that like fascinated me. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I have memories from a previous life, and one of them is of me shoplifting at a craft store. Oh, you've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, in one of these memories, I was a little girl with very long brown hair in a red velvet dress. And I was never a long-haired brunette child. I had, like, dirty blonde hair. And in this memory, I have very gorgeous dark chestnut-colored hair. And I was dressed, like, not at all like how I was dressed as a child. And I remember the like because I, I then did it around the same age. So I have like two memories that are distinct. That's crazy. And the stores look different in these memories. That's weird. Despite being the same store. I love it. And I also have memories of like places around my house that weren't there when I was old enough to remember them. Like there was like a, a corned beef place that is close to where I live now and where I lived as a kid, that it is open when I was a literal baby. But I remember like what the inside looked like and how like good the food was. Like I remember sitting in there. That's wild even like to be in the same area again. Yeah. Like even, I mean, these twins especially because it's like within the family. And I've heard of other ones where it's like my great grandmother or my great grandfather is now my child. I've read some of those stories where they're like... Uh. I don't really have vivid memories of these people, but like when my mom heard my kids say this or do this, they were like, mm-hmm. that's my mother. That's my father. And those are wild to me. Yeah. But like living in the same area, small area. Yeah. And recognizing places is just insane. I love it. These stories, when I come across them, no matter how late at night it is, I'm like, I will be reading all of this. I need to know. Yeah. Well, and for me, with them, identifying the toys by name and being able to say like these are not only just like these are my toys but for them to be able to look at a pile of toys and know which one of them went with each of them Mm -hmm. to me i'm like oh no that's a plus proof to me because i don't know if you know this but the dalai lama is thought to be reincarnated right and so it's not that there's the next dalai lama it's that the dalai lama has like chosen to be reborn into this person after they die and so monks will go find the new Dalai Lama. And they even think that the positioning of the body of the most recent Dalai Lama after they've died can like point them in the direction. So if they're cremated, the way that the smoke goes, the child would be in that direction. Or say they unexpectedly died, the way that their body has fallen, the way that they're facing is the direction. That's wild. Yeah. And one of the tests that they do is they will have some of the Dalai Lama's possessions. And if they can accurately identify which ones belong to the previous Dalai Lama. And they're like, oh, it's you. Not just that, but that's one of them. And I was like, that's, to me, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. This cultural practice that goes back so far, they're doing this as like a test to see, is this you? Yeah. I mean, I love all of this. Yes. 
It's interesting. I wholeheartedly believe people are reborn. I just can't explain how certain things like this happen. And I'm sure there's people that just want a fun story and they kind of show their kid things or like tell them things or read them books or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's several where I'm like, there is no explanation to this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, for sure, John was on team. My girls are reincarnated. But Florence wasn't. Mm hmm. So let's move on to our next topic. So there's a place in England that has had very similar murders occur. But the weirdest part is that they happened 157 years apart. And that place is called Erdington. And it's a pretty old suburb that dates back to the 9th century. That's crazy. So very old. Mary Ashford was only 20 years old when she was murdered. She was very well liked and she was considered to be the belle of the parish. I loved that. Olden times. Yeah. And the day before her body was found, on May 26, 1817, she walked from Langley Health to Birmingham on her way to work. She stopped at Mrs. Butler's home where her friend, Hannah Cox, lived. While there, Mary dropped off a bundle of clothes that she had planned to wear to a dance later that night. At 6 p.m., Mary came back to Hannah's room to get ready for the dance, and then her and Hannah attended the dance at Tyburn House. They had a great time, and they ended up spending time with Benjamin Carter and Abraham Thornton. And remember Abraham Thornton. The four left the dance together, so Hannah, Mary, Benjamin, and Abraham. And while walking along the main road, which was Chester Road, Hannah decided to head back to Mrs. Butler's alone. And Benjamin decided to go back to the dance. So now it is just Mary and Abraham. So they're walking together, and Mary starts heading towards her grandfather's house, which is where she lived. At 4 a.m. on May 27th, Mary realized she forgot her work clothes and had to go back to Hannah's. What I find very interesting for this story is that it's 1817 and that Mary and Abraham are alone at 4 a.m., I don't think they were supposed to be. Yeah, I know. But that's why I'm like, oh, that's pretty scandalous. Right. So at 4 a.m. on May 27th, Mary realized she forgot her work clothes and had to go back to Hannah's. And before she left, the two talked again. Yeah. Like typical friend behavior. Like what happened last night? Yeah. 1817 or now you were asking your friend. So you were out till 4 a.m. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Tell me about them. So witnesses remember seeing Mary along the road a little after 4 a.m. alone. Between 6.30 a.m. and 8 a.m., we've seen both times, a man named George Jackson was heading to work when he stumbled upon a bundle of clothes, a hat, and shoes near a water-filled pit. He noticed that there was blood on some of the items and that it left a trail to the pit. We've also seen that it was footprints or trampled grass that led to the pit, or that he was just concerned because of the piles of clothes. But regardless, he went and he alerted authorities and or locals. Again, we've seen both. So after George alerted the necessary people, they searched the pool and found Mary Ashford's body. She had bruising on her arms and she'd been sexually assaulted. Some sources say she was strangled, while others say she had drowned. There were some footprints found in a nearby field that looked like they belonged to a man and a woman. The prime suspect, not surprisingly, was Abraham Thornton. He was arrested and seemed confused. When arrested, he said, oh, let me take a glass of water. Oh, yeah, get ready for this. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe she is murdered. Why, I was with her until four o'clock this morning. That's exactly how he said Perfect. it. Right? Sounds like Abraham to me. One fucking take. Gorgeous. 
During the questioning, he told detectives that he had had sex with Mary that night in the field. Afterwards, they stargazed until about 3 a.m. And then he either walked Mary part of the way back to Hannah's or fully back to Hannah's. We've seen differing stories. In the version where he walked her all the way back, he waited outside for her for a little bit and then left when she didn't come back outside for some time. It's probably because... Her friend was grilling her about what happened. Yeah, she was like, what is going on? And then Mary was like, girl, let me tell you. Mary was like, oh, some things happened in a field. So basically, Abraham said, when she went into Hannah's, I didn't see her again. Or the last time I saw her, she was walking the rest of the way to Hannah's. One of the two of those. Authorities believed it to be him because it was said that he had a nail in his boot that fit the impression made in the grass. But that also goes along with what he was saying, though, right? He said he had sex with her in a field. So it is possible that they were in that field. Right. Right. It's all walking distance, right? Abraham's trial started on August 8th, and public opinion was that he was guilty. However, three witnesses were able to corroborate his alibi. There was also a lack of evidence. This led the jury to come back with a not guilty verdict. Mary's brother, William, did not agree with the jury and appealed for a second trial. In America, you can't do that because it's called double jeopardy. And this was like a big deal that it yeah. was able to go through. You could have a wrongful death suit, but that's civil, not criminal. Lord Ellenborough presided over the case during the second trial. And Lord Ellenborough decided that Abraham could defend his not guilty verdict with a trial by battle, which is pretty much a fight to the death to prove you're innocent. I did not know this was a thing. What a wild time. So if he won, he would be acquitted. And if he lost, he would be hanged. And I just feel like if you had already gotten one not guilty verdict, why would you do this? You know, but Abraham seemed game to the challenge and, quote, made a show of it by throwing a leather glove over his head to initiate the challenge. Abraham is a real whimsical guy. (laughs) Mary's brother did not respond to this by the given date, and the case was ultimately discharged and Abraham was freed. William, what are you doing? Well, he didn't want to die. I can see, like, I think he killed my sister, but I don't want to die because of it. I mean, fair. That's fair. The rage of a murdered sibling should carry you, though. Yeah, but then what if he lost and then he murdered both of them if he was guilty? I don't know. Okay, he had his first trial and they said not guilty. Then William doesn't show up to the fight. So they're like, well, we can't do a trial by battle. So I guess you're free. So then everyone's still like, no, you're definitely guilty. So Abraham leaves and he comes to the United States. And then Mary's remains were buried in the Sutton Coldfield churchyard. And there's so many sad points of this poor fucking Mary and poor fucking Hannah, who's like, my friend was just like out and she was telling me she had a good night. And now only bad things. Right. This is the part that like made me really sad for poor Mary. Her headstone said as a warning to female virtue and a humble monument to female chastity. This stone marks the grave of Mary Ashford, who in the 20th year of her age, having incautiously repaired to a scene of amusement without proper protection, was brutally violated and murdered on the 27th day of May 1817. Get fucked. Yeah. It's like the worst type of victim blaming. That's what I thought. I was like, Poor Mary, just like everything about this sucks. Yeah. It's very hard to read because it's smudged. But yeah, I read that. I was like, this sucks. So poor Mary. Oh, and I saw one place has, I don't know, it's just a little like picture, I'm assuming, of court paperwork. And it says William Ashford, brother of the deceased, against Abraham Thornton for the willful murder of Mary Ashford, a beautiful young virgin. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, good thing she was a pretty virgin, or we don't give a fuck about her. Sometimes fucking hate this planet. Mm-hmm. Now, remember all of that, all of the story of what happened to Mary, and fast forward 157 years. And let's talk about Barbara Forrest. Barbara was also 20 years old when she was murdered on the same date, May 27th. But this time it was 1974, which would be exactly 157 years later. Also remember how we said Mary was walking down Chester Road, because that'll come up too. Barbara's mother described her as a wonderful girl, and she was devoutly religious. She was very involved with the Lutheran Church Youth Movement and served as national secretary. When her body was found, there were signs of rape and strangulation, and she was found a few days later, though, on June 4th of 1974. When her body was found, she was found at the edge of Pipe Hayes Park, which is a few feet from Chester Road in a ditch. So already similar again. Yeah. And this was about a quarter mile away from where she lived. Barbara worked as a nurse nearby. And reports say that she was with her boyfriend, Simon Belcher, on the evening of May 26th. They had also been dancing, but this time it was at a few bars. Okay. And Simon said that he walked her to the bus at 1 a.m. And that was the last time that he saw her. It's unknown if she actually got onto the bus because the passengers, when they were interviewed later, did not remember seeing her. Now, this time, over 100 detectives were involved and there was a manhunt for who was responsible. There were many theories, including that she was abducted at the bus stop, given a ride by someone she knew, and that someone may have grabbed her as soon as she stepped off of the bus. Detectives did a lot of things like print out and put up posters all over to help get some information from the public. They also went door to door to get insights and questioned neighbors. And because of this, a witness came forward to say that they had seen a blue car parked near where her body was found. Detectives, again, zeroed in on a man with the name Thornton. I just need you to know that if I was a person with the last name Thornton around here, I would be like, I gotta fucking go. Even if you had nothing to do with it, don't be around, right? Don't be a fucking round. When I heard about this one, I got chills because I was like, how? That's so weird because like anyone that could have murdered Mary would be long dead, right? Like maybe a copycat, I guess, but like, it's so weird. Oh, bizarre copycat. So this time the person they suspected was Michael Ian Thornton. And Michael lived on Chester Road and worked with Barbara. Authorities reported finding bloodstains on his pants and his mother had given a false alibi. He was apprehended and charged with Barbara's murder. The same thing happened again. He went to trial, but he was found not guilty due to lack of evidence. Now it's going to get weirder again. The sibling of the deceased did not accept the verdict. And this time it was Barbara's sister, whose name was Erica. Mm hmm. Now, this wasn't very long ago, because in 2012, Erica demanded that they reopen the case and have the DNA evidence reviewed after a 40-year silence. And there is speculation that the DNA may have been lost, which, like, hurts my heart. fucking hate this so much. Right? I found um, a couple news articles from the area from 2012. And a West Midlands police spokesman, and they don't name the person, said that the force could not comment over whether relevant DNA from the case exists and said, quote, there are no further forensic opportunities to explore. But then in that same article, a former West Midlands 
criminal investigations department chief, John Plimmer, was also very surprised that there was no review of the case that has taken place because DNA testing obviously has advanced so much. And he said, quote, as with any serious case, you might get some DNA, and I think it would have turned something up. I'm surmising the samples they had have been lost or corrupted. If they had had the samples, they would have done a cold case review. And so another spokesman came up and said, the case has not been closed, and all unsolved cases are subject to review, and this case is no exception. In the event that further information comes to light, or other evidential opportunities are identified, then these matters will be properly pursued. So I'm like, you're still talking around it. Like, why haven't you looked at this? Yeah, yeah. I haven't found anything since then that anything's changed. So I think she's still like fighting for it. And it sounds like her parents were too. And they were, you know, very old at that time. And they're just not checking out or maybe they don't have it. It's very sad. I think what's hard too is that this much time has elapsed, right? And he's already been acquitted of this crime. So if they did find that it was him, they would have to charge him for something that wasn't murder, which depending on what they charged him with the first time, right? And those statutes of limitations, right? Because for a lot of places, there's a statute of limitation on sexual assault, which that's in fucking sane to me. Mm-hmm. But I think best case scenario for justice, if it was him, would be a wrongful death suit. Chances are he's elderly as well. Yeah. Because that's like, what, 40 years ago? Yeah. I mean, a lot of time has passed. So like, it would be really hard to go through. But also like, yeah, the DNA advances. As a family member, I would be very curious, even just to know, you know, like to put that behind you to go, okay, I know who did it. I know what happened. Yeah. So there are more similarities to these two cases, too. Both women had bad feelings before they were murdered and confided in someone. So Mary reportedly told Hannah's mom that she, quote, had bad feelings about the week to come, which I mean, I think I say that every week. I mean, fair. And Barbara told a coworker 10 days before her murder, quote, this is going to be my unlucky month. I just know it. Don't ask me why. Oh, no. Can you imagine saying that after the fact that someone told you that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like being questioned. And you're like, oh, my gosh, she said this. I do like her terms, though. This is going to be my unlucky month. Just this one month. Just this month. Poor thing, though. That's sad. Yeah. So both murders took place on Whit Monday. And Whit Monday is also known as Pentecost Monday and is celebrated the day after Pentecost on the Christian calendar. The Holy Day of Pentecost takes place 50 days after Easter Sunday, so it varies year to year. I love how foreign this all sounds in your mouth. You're like, as it? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can tell I'm not religious, right? But Whit Monday took place on May 26th on both of these years, 1817 and 1975. That's a little jarring. So both these women on the 26th went dancing, hung out with a guy for a bit, and then turned up murdered around the same area and had very similar experiences as to how they were murdered. Hmm. Both murders to this day are still unsolved. And people are torn between all of this just being some sort of weird, crazy coincidence or possibly something more sinister is happening. The land requires a sacrifice every 157 years or like... Every Whit Monday. Or every Whit Monday or <laughs> yeah. like... I don't know. Like you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Every so-and-so many years, a beast needs to feed. When it's murders happening in a similar place that are unsolved, that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, really similar. And it's just, I said it before, but it can't be the same person. That person would be long gone. 
So at best, it could be like a weird copycat. But like those specifics happening on that same day, people that went dancing and the exact same age. And I couldn't confirm this anywhere. But some people said that they had the same birthday as well. Oh, that's interesting. I have never heard of copycat killers who aren't copying someone infamous. Exactly. It's a very sad and tragic and heartbreaking murder. But I wouldn't say this person was an infamous killer. Yeah. But yeah, overall, like, very creepy. I agree. I would not be wandering around this area. I'd be like, ah, just in case. No dancing allowed. It's the English town (laughs) uh, that's the Footloose town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something truly fucking different. Ugh. Yeah. But scary. But scary none the fucking less. So we had a whole ass episode on doppelgangers. That was one of my favorite episodes. It was a fun time. I would so thoroughly recommend giving it a listen. You learn interesting things like the fact that Amanda would kill her doppelganger if they were doing better than her. (laughs) Wouldn't anyone? How dare them? How fucking dare them? (laughs) The Amanda that's living her best life better watch the fuck out and sleep with one eye open because sleep-deprived Amanda hasn't slept in 74 years and is fucking coming for you. Yeah. Yeah, what if she gets to sleep a lot? And by a lot, do you mean a normal human amount? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we are going to talk about what's been dubbed the doppelganger murder. Last year, in 2022, a 23-year-old beautician identified in German newspapers as Sherevan K created several social media profiles with different aliases so that she could find women who looked like her. And just as a note, all of the people identified by name are a first name and a last initial because that is apparently like the custom there. They don't do full names in reporting of any true crime, from what I understand. So, a bit before midnight on August 16th of 2022, Sherevan's parents found her brutally murdered in her Mercedes, which had been parked in a residential area. Sherevan's parents had been told that she had been visiting her ex-husband, and after they didn't hear back from her for a few hours, they got concerned. So they tried texting her, they tried calling her, and they didn't hear from her. So they're like, you know what? We're going to go over there to see if we can find her because something's wrong. And that's when they found her. So per a police spokesperson, the victim was killed with over 50 thrusts of the knife and the face completely disfigured. That's awful. That's a lot of work, too. That is a lot of work. And again, her body was found in a parked Mercedes in the back seat. So Sheravan's family was asked to confirm whether the body was her, and they confirmed that it was her. And like, I would imagine it's her car. The person looks like her. It's in where you would think she would be. All of this makes sense. And I would imagine this is like extra heartbreaking and traumatic given how brutally she was murdered because they found her and they had to identify her. Yeah. However, when the autopsy was completed the next day, the identity of the remains was called into question. And one of the things that I saw that was concerning was that the fingerprints were different. Later, police would identify the victim as Khadija O. And Khadija was also 23 years old and she was a beauty blogger. Per police, the woman looked incredibly similar. And so similar, in fact, that it was German publications that began calling the case the doppelganger murder. Three days after the remains were found, Sherevan and Shakir K were detained by Bavarian police. 
At the time of the arrest, police believed that Sherabon had planned to fake her own death because she had gotten into a fight with her family. And law enforcement believes that her plan was to leave the area and go start a new life someplace else. And some sources say that Shakir was her boyfriend, but I've also seen where she was just a friend. As they investigated Sherabon, they found that she had contacted multiple women who had a strong resemblance to her. Interesting. Sherapan would make up fake reasons to meet these women and was unsuccessful numerous times before she lured Khadijah into meeting her with a lie about a cosmetic offer. And I've seen multiple articles about these, but a lot of these are translated or they're relying on facts from translated articles. But from what it seems like to me, it seems like Khadijah was a beauty influencer and that, that she was offering like a cosmetic partnership. And she's like, oh, we just have to meet first. And what's interesting is I only saw this in one article. I didn't see it widely spread, but apparently the first account that reached out to Khadijah that was Sherabam was from a musician that was very popular or a celebrity. And she was like, oh my gosh, you want like a private meeting with me? Just meet me here. Oh, wow. And it was like very clearly a not official account because you can tell when someone's verified. Yeah, yeah. And so Khadijah well, reached of. out to this celebrity and she sent a message. And then she sent like a video message to be like, here is me, a real person asking if this is you. And the person was like, that is not me. Don't fall for it. Ugh, yikes. So from what I understand, it looks like Sherabin tried twice with her. Persistent. Yes. So the possible second time that she catfished her, for lack of a better phrase, Sherabin and Shakir picked up Khadijah from her apartment and they told her they were going to a meeting and they drove her to a wooded area. From there, they made up a reason for her to get out of the car and the two of them stabbed her to death. They then lifted her body back into the Mercedes and drove the car to a residential area. And I think that they put it in a place where they thought her parents would find it when they came looking for her because they told them they were going to be in this area, then didn't say anything to them. So she kind of knew them well enough to know that they would come looking for her. Yeah. And then it's in this residential area that her parents do find the car and then they assume it's her. It's her car. The person looks like her. Arrest warrants for Shakir and Sherabin were issued at the end of January. There are still more witnesses that need to be interviewed, but the prosecutor's office said that there is sufficient evidence, even though the murder weapons have not been found, because from looking at Khadijah's remains, they were able to identify that multiple different knives were used. The case is still ongoing, so we'll include updates as they come up in the True Crime Digest episodes that we have. Oh, yikes. That's horrific. Yikes. And you know what it does remind me of? I don't know if you've heard of it, but the murder of Skylar Niece. Not quite like a doppelganger thing, but her two friends lured her into a car at night, took her, I want to say, to a wooded area, killed her. It's been a while since I've read that one, but horrific and sad, but it's like eerily similar in that sense of like luring them on false pretenses. How terrible of a person do you have to be to literally search for someone and kill them so that you can go live a new life? Why did she think that she was so entitled to this? Just go fucking live a new life. Right, right. You don't have to kill someone to be able to do whatever you want. Yeah, that's unfucking necessary. I just 3000% do not understand how a person could do this. No. I don't know how the person, like her accomplice, could do this with her. Sounds like a good idea. Are you fucking kidding me? Just leave. I wonder how she found her, too. You know, like, we were joking around when we did our doppelgangers episode about that website that tries to find your doppelganger. Mm -hmm. And a few of them, I don't know if they're real results or not, but 
they looked very similar. And then when we did it, we're like, those people don't look like us at all. Looking at pictures of these two women, they look very similar. Like very, very similar. Like they have similar bone structure. Their complexion's very similar. Even the shade of brown that their hair is looks similar to me. And the way that they kind of posed in photos. She's very pretty. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. But because, I mean, again, right? She was One of them was a beauty influencer. So, like, it's reasonable to think that they would be conventionally attractive. But I think, again, like, she was just scouring social media looking for people who look like her. Yeah. I mean, if you put those two together, I would not know the difference. No. Like, their makeup's done differently and that's it. Yeah, but even still, like, different makeup can make me look like a whole ass different person. Look, I don't have fucking, I have light eyebrows. I put eyebrows on, again, I am a brand new bitch. So to me, it's just like, oh, you contoured differently that day. Yeah. But of all the people sliding into your DMs, someone who wants to literally murder you so they can make people think it's your body, yikes. And, like, this isn't the first time that someone has done that. But I think it's one of the first times that I've heard that people are using social media to do it. Because I feel like it's, I don't want to say a common trope, but a trope in some movies where they'll find a body that was burned beyond recognition or X, Y, Z. If you watch the show You, then like, this might sound a little familiar-ish, you know? Wild to me, though. They were just hoping that they weren't going to do real checks, like DNA checks. They were just hoping they'd be like, that's her. Wash my hands of it. Done and done. And then they're like, well, we need to verify this is actually her. And they're like, oh, wait, it's not. It's also just bad criming. Yeah. Khadijah existed. She had a life. Exactly. And she was a beauty blogger. So people that watched that frequently would notice that she was gone. Yes. Yes. Bizarre. Stupid. And also, like, there's evidence. Well, that too. Evidence. There's very (laughs) clear evidence. If you look at her messages, like, you're going to see, like, she was meeting someone. Right, right. Yeah, just dumb criminal. They're kind of uh, Chad DeBalls. They are Chad DeBalls. So at the time of us recording this, it is before March. But the day that this is released, I'm in Arizona right now. Huzzah. (laughs) Hooray. What a time. I'm hoping it's not hot. It probably will be. But you'll have carne asada. As long as I have infinite meats, perhaps (laughs) pocket meats for our ghost tour, No, which is this weekend, there may be tickets left. If there are, check out the show notes because we're going to be in golf carts. And again, I can't stress how excited I am for that. She loves a good golf cart. I do love a good golf cart. (laughs) Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Especially after our Mexico trip where we rented one and someone let us drive it around an island. Yes, yes. We were the most gorgeous passenger princesses that ever existed. I had mud all over me from the fucking golf cart, but you know. Yeah, well, we but you were gorgeous and muddy. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be in Wickenburg. We're going to go find some ghosts, do it as a fun group. We already had several tickets sell the first day when we made it public. So mm-hmm. hopefully we have a few left for you guys. Yeah, I'm very, very excited. Well, it's in a couple days from today, so we'll let you know how it goes. I'm thinking it's going to be a blast. It's going to be. I know it is. It's this Sunday, correct? It is the Sunday. Yep. Today that this comes out, we need to give them a count 48 hours before. Fantastic. Tell us right now if you want to come. Yes. We might be out of tickets already, though, so I'm so sorry. Yeah, I love you, though. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll be able to do more ghost tours because I want to go various places and i'm hoping Lindsay wants to go with and we can just set up ghost tours wherever i love this i love this the next time you come to maryland there's another one i want to take you on but it's very different than the one that we went on already 
And I really like the folks who put it on. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. She already promised me a weird pasta place in Baltimore, too. So I did. I did. I do love Frank's. I promised her carne asada. She promises me Italian food. Pasta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? What can well, I say? With that, we'll see some of you this weekend. Have a good weekend for the rest of you. Yeah. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) This is fully unrelated, but I said that he was a a whimsical guy. Livy describes Jack as a silly guy (laughs) who poops a lot. Oh, the baby. Oh, I was like, (laughs) Like, who the fuck is Jack? And she's like, he's a silly guy and he poops a lot. Yeah, I don't think he'd be elderly. He might be like 60. That's elderly. (laughs)